How many times in your life has someone said to you something like this? Remember these words. And then they follow that up with, I don't know, some piece of sage advice or practical wisdom. In high school, I played a lot of baseball. Um, And I remember my coach always saying, hey, remember these words. When you get up to bat, keep your head down and your eye on the ball. Keep your head down and your eye on the ball. Because see, usually when I was in a hitting slump, which obviously didn't happen very often, but, but when it did, but when it did, it was usually because because I was moving my head and I wasn't focusing on what I needed to focus. And so when I would swing the bat, I wasn't hitting the ball very well. I had to remember the words, keep my head down and my eye on the ball. In every area of life, whether it's a sport, it's a hobby, or it's a vocation, we need people who can come alongside us and give us these, these words to remember. And these words to remember are things that will show us how to do something properly and how to do something well. We need mentors who are going to guide us in whatever endeavor or vocation we find ourselves in. Now, I found that whenever one of my own mentors would say something like, remember these words, whatever followed next, it still continues to guide me in the day-to-day aspects of whatever it is that I'm doing. These words to remember, they, they act as sources of guidance, but they also act as sources of stability and sometimes even correction when things really aren't going as planned. And so really whenever I'm in a a metaphorical hitting slump, I need to remember to keep my head down and keep my eye on the ball. The Apostle Paul was a man through whom the Spirit did great and mighty things for the kingdom. Right? Paul traveled all over the world. He preached the gospel to many people. He saw many people come to faith. He planted churches He even wrote a few things as well. The Apostle Paul had a lot of experience. He did great things. But in the midst of all of that, Paul also suffered a lot, actually. You see, on his his mission, he had some type of thorn in his side that he prayed that God would take away, and God never did. People abandoned him. He was arrested. He was tortured. He was jailed, all for the sake of the gospel. Paul was a man who was full of knowledge and experience. And honestly, that knowledge and experience is one of the things that made him a great mentor. And Paul really was a great mentor. Paul was diligent in raising up leaders for the church. He was diligent in passing on the things that he learned so that the churches would be strengthened and cared for in his absence, and ultimately so that the gospel would continue to go forth. Now, we actually see this scattered all throughout his writings, but particularly, we find this in a group of letters that we call the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles are 1st and 2nd Timothy and the letter to Titus. These are three letters written to two pastors, and they all have a, a singular focus. And that focus is instructing them on how to organize and care for their local congregations. Now, most of Paul's letters are written directly to churches. But these three pastoral epistles, however, are actually written directly to pastors. In fact, they're written late in Paul's life. Uh, 2 Timothy is probably the, the, the last letter that we have of Paul. In these letters, Paul knows that his time is coming to, to an end. He knows he doesn't have much time left. 
And so he wants to make sure that the churches that he's planted and the churches that he's cared for have godly leadership that will shepherd them in his absence and until the great shepherd returns for his church. Now, there are many issues that Paul deals with in these pastoral epistles. But one of the main themes that runs through them is the theme of encouragement. He's intent on encouraging these pastors. He's wanting to encourage them to carry on and to remain focused on God and all that God has called them to. Believe it or not, pastors need encouragement too because, well, ministry can be difficult. I hope that's not a shock and surprise to you. Ministry is difficult. Pastors need mentors who are going to guide them and encourage them both in the day-to-day aspects and even through difficult times if and when they arise. And that's what Paul's doing for both Titus and Timothy in these letters. One of the ways that he does this is that five times throughout these three letters, Paul gives them this phrase. He says something like, here is a trustworthy saying. Here is a trustworthy saying. And then he follows it up with some nugget of truth or some bit of wisdom for the pastors. These five trustworthy sayings, if you will, are really Paul's way of saying, hey, Timothy, hey, Titus, remember these words. Remember these words. Now, that phrase, here is a trustworthy statement, it's translated in various ways in various places, and depending on what translation you have, but in Greek, that phrase is really only three words. It's pistos hologos, which translated literally means faithful the word. Faithful the word. I really like the translations that use the word trustworthy. I love that word, trustworthy, because I I think it gets to the idea that these particular sayings are sure, that these particular sayings are steady, and that they are foundational. They are trustworthy, and you can take them to the bank. you You can stake your life on this truth, and if you hold fast to this trustworthy statement, you can't go wrong. They will guide you, they will correct you, and they will encourage you. So, for the next five weeks, we're going to look at each of these trustworthy statements of Paul. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the trustworthy statements of Paul. Now, these trustworthy statements, like I said, they are written directly to pastors. That's true. But their truths are not just for pastors only, but for the whole church. You see, Christ forms a body for himself, and through us as a church, he calls us to follow him on mission for his kingdom to do ministry. But because ministry is difficult, sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we need encouragement. And that's both right and good. These five trustworthy statements, they are encouraging statements, and most of all, they are guiding statements. And really, that's why I think we need to hear these five trustworthy statements. Because friends, let's just be honest. We're still in the middle of an interim process. It's not over yet. We're still in the thick of it. But what I want to encourage us through these statements is that just because we don't have a permanent lead pastor, that doesn't mean that our mission is put on hold. It does not mean that we won't continue to minister. 
It doesn't mean that we're gonna stop living our life together, and it certainly doesn't mean that God still isn't using us for his kingdom and for his glory. It doesn't mean any of that. God has not put us on standby. We will continue to proclaim God's kingdom in the queen city, whether we have a permanent rector or not. But if we're honest, sometimes I think we need to hear a trustworthy statement, and I think now is a good time. I think we need to hear a trustworthy statement that will both encourage us and guide us, and so that's what we're going to do for the next five weeks. So if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to 1 Timothy. We're going to look at each of these five trustworthy statements, and we're going to look at them in order. And the first one comes in the first chapter of 1 Timothy, starting in verse 15. It says this, This is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is a trustworthy statement, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. If you want to get to the heart of the gospel... This is it. If you need to tweet the gospel, this is it. Christ came to save sinners. Now, these are definitely words to remember because they are foundational for both Christian life and gospel ministry. Paul was absolutely right to start here with this encouragement to Timothy. And here's why. Because Timothy, he was put in charge of a church. And that church is in the city of Ephesus. It's the same church that the letter to the Ephesians is written to. And so here's here's Timothy leading this church. Now, Ephesus is a city that is wealthy. It's a port city. It's a trade city. It's also a very idolatrous and immoral city. You've got the temple to the goddess Artemis that's there, and you've got many uh, gross sexual immoral acts that are committed in her name. And the church that's in Ephesus is made up of people who are coming out of that culture. And Timothy is put in charge to shepherd people who are coming out of that culture. There's another aspect here is that in Ephesus, you have a group of what's called false teachers, is how how Paul uh, describes them. False teachers who are coming into Ephesus and and teaching all kinds of strange and erroneous doctrines. And and these particular doctrines about God and salvation in Jesus are actually leading the people of Ephesus and people in the church of Ephesus back into the old lifestyles that they were called out from. And so here's Timothy in the midst of all of this. He's a young pastor. And so Paul is writing him a letter of encouragement and guidance. And it's in the context of that that he says, Timothy, remember these words. This is a trustworthy statement. Christ came to save sinners. Don't forget that. Now, there's a lot here that I could say, but for our purposes, I want to ask this question. Why would Paul draw Timothy's attention to that phrase And in the middle of that context at this point, well, I think that there's a couple reasons, um, and I can split them out like this. One has an an outward implication, and one has inward implications. And so we're going to start looking at the first outward implication of why why Paul would draw Timothy's attention to this particular statement at this point in his ministry. The first one goes like this. Well, like I said... Ministry is difficult. Ministry is difficult. There are times when we look around 
And it looks like the gates of hell actually are prevailing against the church. That's what Timothy was experiencing. There are times when we look around and we see people walking away. We, sometimes we look around and it seems like the message is falling on deaf ears. It seems like doors are closing and it seems like the gospel is just being ineffective. Have you ever been there? In whatever ministry you find yourself in, or if you look at the church in the midst of the context, have you ever been at that place? Have you ever, have you ever been to this place where you've said to yourself, you know, this is futile. This is futile. Maybe I just need to go do something else with my life. Now, again, this letter is written to a pastor, but the truth is for a church that is living its life together and just trying to be faithful, ministering to the city where God has planted it. And so when it seems like ministry is seemingly ineffective or just difficult, Paul wants us to fall back on these words that Christ came to save sinners. Because, as he points out to Timothy, the very ones who reject the gospel are the very ones for whom Christ died. The very ones who reject the gospel are the very ones for whom Christ died. Think about that for a second. Just think about that. Christ came to save sinners. It actually echoes the very words of Jesus when he says this. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. There's another scene in which Jesus is eating dinner with a bunch of people and and a Pharisee comes up to him and asks, he says, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you doing that? And Jesus looks at the Pharisee and he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's also another scene in which Jesus is going around healing those who are sick and casting out demons. And he looks up and he sees a large crowd coming to him. And the scripture tells us that Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The world that God so loved has gone astray like wandering sheep, searching after all different sources of life. The creation has separated itself from the creator, and yet God was not satisfied to leave us just to die. But Jesus came down from heaven and did the work on the cross that was needed for us to be rescued from our wandering away. It was not when all was right with the world that Christ came to the world. It was when we were dead in our sins. It's when we were enemies to God. Remember, it was not when, it was not after the resurrection that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. It's while he was hanging on the cross. Jesus did not come to a world that already had it all together. Jesus did not come to a world that already had it all together. He didn't come to a world that was already set right. He did not come to a world that was ready to embrace him with open arms. In fact, he came to the exact opposite. The world that Jesus stepped down into was a world that was a mess. And the people that he was sent to were people with messy lives. But Jesus kept his focus because he knew what his mission was. He came into the world to save sinners. And he did it because he loved them. He did it because he loved them. And friends, the world is still messy. The world is still messy. The people of the world still have messy lives. What that means then is that Christ's mission is not over yet. The mission's not done yet. 
Christ came into the world to save sinners, and guess what? Christ is still saving sinners. That's what he does. And he's doing it through the church. He's doing it through our proclamation of the good news that Christ came to save sinners. And so as we live out our calling to be the church, one of the things that I want us to remember is that God doesn't expect us to minister to a world that already agrees with us. God doesn't expect us to minister to a world that stands ready to receive the good news that we have to share. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Sometimes sick people don't like to be told they're sick, and they reject the idea. And because of that, ministry can be be discouraging. It really can. It can be discouraging when we try to minister to those who don't readily accept the gospel. But we can hold fast to this trustworthy statement and find hope because what I want to believe is that that means that Christ's mission is not over yet. We're still on mission with Christ, and let me give you this bit of encouragement too. Not only is the mission not over, but the mission will be completed. That's a promise that we have from Scripture, that the mission will be completed. The mission that we're on, it can't fail even if it looks like the gates of hell are prevailing. In John chapter, 6, verses, John chapter 6, verses 37 and following, Jesus himself says this about his mission. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that God has given to me but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Those are the words of Jesus himself. The mission of Christ can't fail. That's not a statement about the will of man or anything like that. That is a statement about the faithfulness of God. The mission of Christ can't fail. So what this means for us is that as we're ministering in our day-to-day, as we're praying for our friends, as we're praying for the wise, we're praying for our neighbors and our coworkers and those whom we love, as we pray for the salvation of our, of our children's souls, we can hold fast and find comfort to this trustworthy statement because the fact is, is that Christ's mission is to save such as these. That's why Christ came, and it can't fail. Paul calls the gospel the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. Is there any other power in this world or in this universe that can thwart God's power? Saving sinners is Christ's mission. And so if that's the case, then I guess it's appropriate to ask, well, what's our role in that? What is our role in that? And I want to suggest to you that it is simply to love. That it's simply to love. Simply to love those whom God loves. Simply to love those whom God loves so much that he gave his only son. And who does God love? God loves unworthy sinners. The Anglican theologian Ashley Knoll says it this way. He says, it is the glory of God to save unworthy sinners. It is the glory of God to save unworthy sinners. Christ came because we were unworthy. 
Christ came because we were unworthy. And it was his love that makes us worthy enough to stand before God. And so as we love those whom God loves, that's how the gospel's shown. That doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth or call others up to higher ways of living, but it does mean that when we speak the truth, we speak it in love. Because just like Christ, when he looked out on the crowds, Christ had compassion. Christ had compassion because he could see what their deepest need was. And their deepest need was to be reconciled in love to the great shepherd of their souls whom they had wandered away from. Okay, now I can keep going on on this point, but to sum this up, let me just say this. When we are living our life together as the body of Christ, I want to encourage us to to remind each other of the truths of this trustworthy statement as we consider our mission to the city of Charlotte and as we think about all that the Lord is doing in and through us in our mission to Charlotte. There is a sinful world out there that doesn't always accept Christ, but the truth is, is that Christ came to save sinners such as these. And so that's the encouragement that comes when we look outward. That's the outward encouragement of this trustworthy statement. Like I said, there's a a second encouragement, and it's a more inward-looking encouragement. When we come to faith, we've got it all figured out, don't we? We get it all figured out. When we come to faith... We never sin again, and we all live in perfect harmony with one another, and everything just goes right. Right? Yeah. yeah. Wrong. That's wrong. Now, it's absolutely true that the power of sin is broken in our lives by what Christ did on the cross. That is a true statement. The power of sin is broken in our lives. However, as Paul tells us over and over, it takes us a lifetime to grow to the full maturity and the full stature of Christ in that. Sinful habits still lead us into into temptation. We still fail. We still miss the mark. The difference now is that we have assurance of Jesus' forgiveness. See, the old nature might still make its presence known in our lives more often than we'd like to believe or even more than we'd like to admit. But that's not what controls us. It's not what defines us because now we have a new identity. We're marked as Christ's own possession. And so the trustworthy statement that Christ came to save sinners is meant to remind us that when we were dead in our sins and transgressions, that Christ saved even us. The truth is, is that's not just a one-time thing. Christ continues to save us. When we fall into sin, even deep sin, we have an assurance that Christ stands ready to forgive us and to restore us. We don't need to carry around all the sins and the burdens that we used to have to carry. We are still in the season of Easter liturgically. We are still celebrating Christ's resurrection. But the resurrection comes after Christ was nailed on a cross and Christ's resurrected body still holds the scars of that crucifixion. But here's the truth. The nail-scarred hands of Christ aren't burdened by our sins So why should ours be? We have assurance that Christ has forgiven us of our sins in this statement. It's a word of assurance for our walk with Christ. Actually, you may actually know this statement pretty well because we say it quite often in our liturgy. Oftentimes after 
we've confessed our sins and absolution has been pronounced and before the peace, sometimes we'll say, here is a trustworthy statement that Christ came into the world to save sinners. It's a way of assurance. It's a way to be continually reminded that our sins have been forgiven and it's a way to be encouraged and strengthened for our mission in the world. As we have received love and grace and forgiveness, we're also called to extend that love and grace out to a world that needs it. And we're called to extend that love and grace even to our own brothers and sisters in Christ as well, to to those within the church. Because sometimes we forget that just as you were a sinner saved by grace, so is every other member of the church. We're all sinners saved by grace means we're all on the same journey of growing into maturity in Christ, and that means that there's not a single person in the church that actually has it all figured out. And what that means is that then, like any family that's living their life together, there's going to be times of conflict, there's going to be times of disagreement, there's going to be differences of opinion. Christians are imperfect people. We're all being healed from the same sinful wound and the same fallen nature. Let's be honest. Sometimes our brothers and sisters in Christ are difficult to love. Not me, of course, but sometimes our, our brothers and sisters in Christ are, are difficult to love, right? Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that. Look, if it was easy for us to love one another, if we did that naturally, Christ wouldn't have needed to command us to do so. So when conflicts and disagreements and arise, and believe me, they will arise because our adversary loves nothing more than to distract us from our mission. In those times, let's hold fast to this trustworthy statement that Christ came to save sinners and be reminded to extend that same grace and love to each other that Christ has extended to us. Because guess what? We're all sinners whom Christ came to save. That is a trustworthy statement. In any sport, particularly in baseball, the key to playing it well and doing it well is to pay attention to your posture. To pay attention to your posture. In baseball particularly, it's important to, stay, to pay attention to your batting stance. Right? That's why my coach always told me, remember these words, head down, eye on the ball. Right? He's telling me to, to pay attention to my posture and my batting stance. If my posture was off and my stance was off, then the task that I was given to do, in this case to hit the ball, it wasn't going to happen very well. It just wasn't going to happen very well. So what I want to suggest this morning is that this particular trustworthy statement is a call for us to always be mind, mindful of our posture, both to the world around us and to one another. It's a reminder not to take a posture of us and them, or even you versus me, but to keep, a, to keep a stance that's open, ready to show love and extend grace even to those whom we might think unworthy of it. Because guess what? We were all once unworthy of the love and grace that was shown to us. So friends, as we close, let me, let me say this. It has been awesome to both watch and be a part of us as a church keeping this kind of posture and focus really throughout this entire interim process. We do this well. 
We do this very well. But even professional athletes, even professional athletes, they need to keep coming back to the basics. They need to keep doing the calisthenics. And it's coming back to the basics and doing the calisthenics that, that keep them going strong. And that's really the purpose of this sermon series of these five trustworthy statements. I think they're going to help us to, to keep our focus and to encourage us as we continue serving the Lord throughout the remainder of our interim period and even beyond. And we're going to continue to, pray, to proclaim God's gospel by showing love and grace to each other and to the city of Charlotte. And we'll do this as we remember these words that this is a trustworthy statement, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Friends, will you pray with me?